Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning on this fifth day of Christmas. It is the 29th of December. We are having unwrapped Christmas gifts. We are wrapping up 2021. So I hope you're having a blessed Christmas season. So I've been um, talking some this week about the 12 days of Christmas because Christmas is a season, not just a day. And so we've been looking at the different days of the week in the song. And so today we arrive at the five golden rings. And so I think it's a good time for us to remember um, the five books of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it could be that the Bible song is now playing in your head if you learned that as a child. It could be that you're totally new to all of this, that at Christmas Uh, This particular Christmas, you um, were turned toward the manger and understood the coming of Christ as not only God's good gift of redemption for all humanity and all of time, but God's good gift of redemption for you. So um, I'm aware that this week people are tuning in to Christian radio, some of them for the very first time, and maybe that's you. And so when we talk about um, things like the Torah or the Pentateuch. We're talking uh, specifically when we say the Pentateuch, we're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, the Old Testament being the books that constituted the uh, Jewish scriptures. And so when Jesus or the other, uh, or the disciples of Jesus or the Apostle Paul refer to the scriptures, they are referring to the part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. And the Old Testament begins with Genesis and then is followed by Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So those five books, um, you know, are what, you know, today, if you are singing your way through the 12 days of Christmas and arrive at these five golden rings, that's um, an opportunity to talk about, I think, uh, what the Bible is and how long it's been a part of the conversation among people of faith. Like you, there's a lot to look at when you're going to look at the Bible. And there's a lot of time covered between Genesis, the beginning of Genesis and the end of Deuteronomy. A great place to start reading um, and, and a great place to start reading in conversation with the New Testament. So like Genesis chapter one is a really interesting chapter of the Bible to read in conversation with John chapter one and Colossians chapter one and Revelation 21 and 22. And you say to yourself, I don't know, why would you do that? Well, because all Scripture is inspired by God. We've talked about that this week. All of it is useful. Um, And we want to be people who understand the entire scope, the full arc of the redemptive narrative, not just little piecemeal parts or stories, um, you know, from here and there. So you may know a few of the stories um, related to the birth of Jesus now that we have passed through 
the event of Christmas and in the season of Christmas, opportunity to really look at who Christ is. And you're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is by reading the Gospel of John. You're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is by reading the first chapter of Colossians. You're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is reading um, the book of Revelation. But it all really starts in Genesis. I mean, literally, it all starts in Genesis. And so um, that's a good a good thing to do today. Read Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1, and Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, for those of you who are new to this program, um, one of the questions we often ask is, where in the Word are you today? And so let's spend some time in the Word of God uh, in those chapters today, that we might find ourselves in Christ and that Christ might be found in us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. So as the year 2021 passes into the year 2022, you know, you're going to hear a lot of conversations in the coming days about turning the page, starting a new chapter, all of those things. Seems a good time, I think, to bring a few things, a few realities into clear focus. Uh, Speaking of bringing things into focus, one of the things that has happened to me in recent weeks is I suddenly find myself needing readers, like reading glasses for the first time. I'm only at the 1.0 stage, but still, like, I was, uh, it, it's amazing how my eyesight has changed over time, right? And I'm, you know, I'm on the high side of 50 now, and so it's been, um, I've been late to the party with the readers, and so I'm not complaining, I'm just making an observation. I'm blessed to have my eyesight, and I'm blessed uh, to be able to read, and I count those as blessings. And so when you think about bringing realities into focus, I do think that sometimes we need to put on really good glasses to do that. So what's the lens through which you are reading your life? What's the lens through which you are reading the events of life? That's your worldview. That's the way you look at things. My lens, my worldview is the redemptive work of God in the context of human history. I mean, I am looking at everything through the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I recognize that things are broken? Yes. How do I understand those to be broken? Because of the fall. Where do I read about that? In Genesis chapter 3. Well, what happens before that? Mm -hmm. Those were literally the good old days. Like before the fall, that's the literal good old days. So if you want to have a conversation about what's it going to look like in the good new days, when God restores all things, you can look back to the opening of Genesis to see what God calls good. In fact, what God calls really good or very good. So as we look at our life, um, we're looking at it through a lens, through a perspective. So what's the lens or the worldview, the perspective through which you are looking at your life? One of the places that I think we understand um, sort of Jesus turning this worldview conversation uh, completely on its head, is when we read passages like Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually three chapters. Uh, maybe you're new to this conversation or new to Bible study. Uh, there are passages in the Gospels where Jesus is doing the talking. There's other places where the Gospel writers are narrating. They're telling stories. It's a narrative retelling of the life of Christ and an introduction to who he is and what he came to do um, and and this passage, though, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus delivering what Matthew 
um, you know, refers to as a sermon up on a mountain. So we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It is the content of this is also reflected by the gospel uh, writer Luke in his gospel. Um, and there it's a sermon that Jesus is delivering on what's described as a flat piece of ground and a large crowd is listening. So that that's the one known as the Sermon on the Plain. And the content is very, very similar, but not exact. And so I think it's reasonable um, to to assume that these are the things Jesus talked about a lot at different times and in various places. And so for Matthew, it is recorded um, as Matthew remembers it delivered in this particular context uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And when Luke is recalling it in his gospel, he is recalling uh, the same content, but delivered by Jesus uh, in, you know, in the Sermon on the Plain. All right, so why bring this up today? Because I want to talk about blessings today, because when we talk about worldview and we talk about the way we look at our life, counting our blessings and the way that we look at life as being blessed by God, life itself being a blessing of God, your perspective matters uh, a lot. I mean, so when you look at your life, when you look at this day of your life, when you look at this season of your life, when you look at life itself— do you consider yourself blessed? How are you deciding how to answer that question? So Jesus talks about who who are the blessed. We call these the Beatitudes, and so I want to read them today. This is the opening of the fifth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, from a worldly point of view, we do not count ourselves blessed when we have cause for mourning, when we are meek, when we are hungry, when we are thirsty, when we are the people in need of mercy. We don't consider purity of heart or life particularly blessed in the culture today. I mean, the list goes on. We certainly don't consider, from a worldly point of view, we don't consider the persecuted to be blessed. We, we ask God to protect us from persecution. And yet, these are the things that Jesus says mark the life of a blessed person. So as we are counting our blessings this year, we're going to take a brief break and come back and do this. I want us to consider how blessed we are to not only be alive, but to have access to the scriptures and the spiritual blessings that flow every single day from the generous hand of our great God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
Okay, picking where we left off as we examine the year 2021 passing into the year 2022. I'm looking back over the course of not only this year, but life itself. And looking at the blessings of life and the blessed life, yes, even though it's full of challenges. In fact, maybe because it's full of challenges. So when you think about your family, I think about uh, generations. I'm thinking about my parents. I feel very, very blessed to still have my mom. I feel blessed to have my stepdad. I feel blessed to have had my dad who died when I was 15. I'm blessed. I feel um, blessed when I look down a generation, right, to um, my six stepkids and then the grandkids that they're already having and my niece and my nephew. And yes, um, we have challenges in our family. We have the reality of autism. We have the reality um, of Apert's syndrome. We have, uh, we have lots of challenges. And yet we're blessed. We're so blessed. You know, I take a sideways look. I, that's, that's probably not the way we're supposed to talk about our siblings. But, you know, I take a sideways look at my own generation. And I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed to, uh, to have my sister. She's my best friend in the whole world. You know, also, you know, looking in my own generation, in my own family, I'm so blessed to have my husband. He's my person. I'm so blessed. Do we have challenges? Absolutely. But I'm so blessed. How about counting the blessings of work? Um, I'm, I'm counting the blessing of this right now, right here with you. Every single day, I count this blessing. Um, I feel blessed for my husband to have meaningful work to do. And I feel blessed for the work that both of us do or each of us does for which we don't get paid, but about which we are very, very passionate. And that's, you know, that's the work, the good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, we love what we do vocationally. Um, and I appreciate having, um, you know, having this particular job. I love it. But I equally love all of the good work that God's prepared in advance for me to do and equipped me to do that has, you know, no market value whatsoever. No market value. How about counting the blessings of church? How, counting the blessings of being discipled and discipling others. Life is uh, brief, and yet life is eternal. I want us to consider that for a moment. Life is brief, and yet life is eternal. Um, when I consider our family and my, you know, quote unquote tribe, like all the people who I count, which by the way, I'm kind of like a hen. It doesn't really matter if, you know, you're one of my actual hatchlings. I don't care. I just throw my uh, arms wide and, uh, and welcome them in and hover over them. And yes, I hen them. Um, so our tribe continues to grow. And, uh, and so I want to celebrate that. I want to celebrate the gift of life. I want to celebrate newness of life. I want to ce celebrate all those who have come to life in Christ this year. What a great gift. We also grieve um, this year. We're grieving in our own family the loss of Jim's brother, Joe. But I'm also celebrating that Joe lived his life in Christ and for Christ. For Christ. He redeemed a redeemed believer. Therefore, a brother forever, eternal. I think this year is one of those years where we came to recognize just how fragile and precious and brief this life is. 
I am grieving in this season for my friend Shelley and her husband Ed at the loss of their sweet daughter Emily just a couple of weeks ago. The burden of um, the burden of life is sometimes very difficult to bear, and yet we wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm going to celebrate this year those who have come to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, to recognize Him for who He is, to say, you know what, I don't love the darkness more than I love the light. Um, Let the light of God's love shine upon me. Um, Show me those places in my life that are yet to be conformed to the image of Christ and lead me to moment by moment submit to the active work of the Holy Spirit that I might be brought more into conformity with who Christ is. Like, I, I just love that. I love that that's what's going on in the life of every believer. I'm so excited about that. This life is so brief. And I know people are struggling and people are hurting. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're hurting today. I mean, I'm, I don't want it to sound at all trite for me to say that, like, we do face real challenges, but they are temporary, momentary, and slight, says the Apostle Paul compared to the weight of glory. So life is a a blessing, absolutely, even though it's a complicated mess. Life is brief, and yet it's eternal, and I want to keep focused on that. Life is also a gift and a great responsibility. So when I think back over the course of this year, you know, I have some sideways glances at myself to take and be like, you know, There are ways in which you misspent time. You did not treat your body fully as a temple of the Holy Spirit. You didn't use all of the talents that God has given you. Um, You you definitely ignored um, or didn't make progress on some parts of your calling. Like, I recognize that when I look back. But I'm so grateful for the gift of time, for the gift of time. Time with my mom, time with my sister, time with my husband, time with you. I'm so, I'm so grateful and thankful for the gift of time. Even as I recognize, you know, my failure to be perfectly responsible with all of that. I also want to consider the gift and the responsibility of ministry. So we are a people who are not only called to Christ, like, that's such an amazing reality. That's such a just extraordinary truth that God has called us to himself in Christ, reconciled through him. Like, this is extraordinary. But he also sends us in the name of Christ, by the power of Christ, by the authority of Christ, with the gifting of the Spirit of Christ into the world that he so loves to do ministry, to actually do ministry. You and I, all of us, each of us, individually and collectively. And so when we consider the gift that this life is and the gift that life is and the responsibility that we bear as people who walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus, I do want us to think a little bit about ministry. What's the ministry that you have accomplished on behalf of Christ this year? How has the gospel been extended to more and more people through the gifts, talents, abilities, and time, relationships, moments, divine appointments that you have had this year? I mean, where are those ministry moments? 
let's be praying together. In fact, I covet your prayers. I, I covet your prayers. I invite your input. What are the ministry opportunities in the year ahead that we could um, walk into that at this point next year, we'd be able to look back and say, there, that one. I, I recall that one. We set out in this direction to expand the tent pegs, to claim one more square inch, to say on behalf of Christ, this one's mine. So be thinking about that. Be praying about that. I covet your prayers, particularly for my husband, Jim, that he might be able to teach people how to study the Bible. It is his heart's passion. So maybe you've got an opportunity uh, in your community um, for Jim to be able to teach people how to study the Bible. That would be like one of my, the prayers I would covet from you this year for me and my family. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So how many of Mitch Albom's books have you read? I'm betting that if you're like me, you've read a few of them. Um, I will confess that prior to the conversation that I had with him about The Stranger in the Lifeboat, I had not read his last two books. And so I'm going to revisit this conversation that I had with Mitch Albom about two recent books that millions of people are reading, including The Stranger in the Lifeboat. It explores the question that, well, I'll just ask it right here. How do you imagine God might come to you in a time of great suffering when you feel all alone and adrift? We'll be right back. Mitch Album is a best-selling author, screenwriter, playwright, nationally syndicated columnist, the author of five consecutive number one New York Times bestsellers, 40 million copies of his books, including um, Tuesdays with Maury, which was my introduction to Mitch Album, which feels like quite a long time ago. Um, Mitch, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to range around in a conversation with you today, not only about your two books, The Stranger in the Lifeboat, which is a novel, and then Finding Chica, which is certainly not a novel. Um, and then I want to ask you some questions, some what if questions. Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's start with um, the novel, because I think that for many people who are familiar with your writing, um, this feels like not only a, like a wow, super intriguing, but also, yeah, this feels, this feels like you. This feels like uh, something I would mm. expect you to, a story I might expect you to tell me. So tell me enough of the story to intrigue me, but obviously we're not going to tell everybody the whole story. All right. So it begins with this luxury yacht owned by one of the richest people in the world, and he invites all these rich, famous celebrities on it for a week-long cruise and they're out of the waters off of Africa. And the night before they're supposed to come back, there's a mysterious explosion. The boat blows up and everybody's killed except 10 people, five of whom are guests, rich guests on the boat, and five of whom are staff, workers. And they manage to get into this lifeboat and they're floating around in the middle of the ocean 
with nobody coming for them for three days. And they don't see any planes, any boats. They're running out of food and water. There's sharks being sighted. Of course, they're crying out for help in their own ways. And then suddenly they see this body floating in the water and they pull it into the boat. And it's this young guy. He's very nondescript, average looking guy. And they start peppering him with questions. He doesn't say anything. And finally, one of the passengers says, well, thank the Lord we found you. And he whispers, I am the Lord. Mm. And it sort of takes off from there. And that's 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 your 30 second movie tease. And of course, they don't believe him. That. Yeah, they don't believe him because he doesn't look like the Lord. He doesn't act like the Lord. And he's skinny and he's he's uh, hungry and he's thirsty. And and uh, they say to him, well, if you're the Lord, what are you doing here? He says, haven't you been calling me? I came because you called me. And they say, all right, so you're supposed to save us. And he says, well, I can only save you if everybody in the boat believes I am who I say I am at the same time. And of course, that seems highly unlikely with these 10. And it's what happens in the days that follow out there in, at sea as things get worse and worse. Um, it's, it, it is, it feels the classic. Uh, for those who have read your writing, I think this feels like it's brand new. It's a great, intriguing, like, I can't wait to get to the end. Um, but it's also, it feels familiar. It feels it feels like you. It feels like a, an ongoing conversation we've been having with you since Tuesdays with Maury. Um, can we go back there for a moment? What do you feel like you learned in those conversations now more than 20 years ago? Well, pretty much everything, Carmen. I mean, uh, you know, I had been on one sort of trajectory of my life at that age. I was 37 when I encountered my old professor who was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. I hadn't stayed in touch with him since college, even though we were extremely close in college. I mean, I took every class he offered. I majored in sociology, which is what he, he taught. I used to eat lunches with him and walk around campus with him. But I was so into my own career and my own ambition that I just kind of forgot about everything that mattered and just worked and worked and worked. And then at 37, I happened to flip on the TV and I saw him uh, talking to Ted Koppel about what it was like to die from Lou Gehrig's disease. He was on the Nightline program. And that's how I found out that he was sick and only had months left to live. So I went to start visiting him. What turned I was thinking I would only be a one-time visit, but I ended up going back again and again and again. I ended up going every Tuesday for all the Tuesdays he had left in his life. And really, you asked what I learned, but I learned everything. I mean, I learned what really matters in life when you really know you're going to die, not the theoretical, I know I'm going to die one day, but the, I'm going to die soon. And Maury was able to say to me, this matters. This doesn't really matter. You think this matters, but when you get to where I am and you will get to where I am, uh, it's not going to matter. And so I had just a life education. Uh, and then as if to cement that, I decided to write a book to help him pay his medical bills. That was the only reason that Tuesdays with Maury was written. And mm -hmm. I went around New York trying to find a publisher and everybody said, no, not interested, boring, depressing. You know, you're a sports writer. What do you know about it? And I would have given up, honestly, Carmen, if it was just for me. Uh, but because it was for someone else, I kind of pushed harder. And I learned something right there that when we do things for other people, we have a different kind of motivation than when we just do them for ourselves. And I was able to find a publisher a few weeks before Maury died and was able to get enough money to give to him to pay his medical bills off so that he didn't have to die in debt. And that was really the whole goal of Tuesdays with Maury. It wasn't supposed to be a well-known book in any way. Uh, and when it came out, they only printed 20,000 copies for the whole world. 
And that's not a lot. I thought I'd have them in the trunk of my car for the rest of my life, you know, and I'd be giving them out to people at the holidays. But um, somehow it found a chord and it started to sell and sell and sell and reach more people, more people and tra get translated and go around the world. And now it's, it's the most, uh, the most popular memoir of all time. And when that happens, you know, people who start talking to you who used to say, hey, who's going to win the Super Bowl? And you would say, hey, the Patriots, and you would keep walking away. Now they would say to me, uh, hey, my mother died of cancer, and the last thing we did was read your book together. Can I talk to you mm -hmm. about her? Mm -hmm. And obviously you can't say Patriots and keep walking. You know, you have to stop. And so my life came to a screeching halt, and I started to hear the stories of so many people who were suffering or who losing people who had lost someone, uh, all the things that Maury touched upon. And my life became much more about that. And you'll notice that I stopped writing sports books after that. And all my books since then have been, you know, more about, you know, what's important in life and, and, you know, how we can find hope and inspiration in life in one way or another. And I try to do that through my stories. And you do it exceptionally well. Um, Mitch, let's take a very brief break. When we come when we come back, um, I really want to spend the rest of the time that we have together talking about your daughter um, and her story and how um, really how it feels like she's your muse. So the next conversation is going to be about finding Chica, a little girl, an earthquake and the making of a family. Our conversation partner today is Mitch Album. We'll be right back. A couple of decades ago, Mitch Album wrote um, what is now the world's most popular memoir about his professor. That book is Tuesdays with Maury. He returns with another memoir of a very different kind, um, Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. Let me read you just a couple of sentences. I remember times when you and I were walking and without prompting, you reached out and took my hand, your little fingers sliding into mine. I would like to tell you how that felt, Chica, but it's too big for words. I can only say that it made me feel like a father. And nearly all of what I learned about that role, I learned from the man who raised me. And the rest, I learned from you. Mitch, tell us um, about finding Chica. Well, Chica, I operate an orphanage in Haiti. I have since the earthquake of 2010. I'm there every month. Um, and Chica was born three days before the earthquake of 2010. She survived it when she was three days old, despite the fact that her little shack collapsed around her and her mother. She became an orphan two years later when her mother died giving birth to a baby brother, and she was brought to our orphanage, and she was, for three years, the loudest, pushiest, bossiest, funniest, uh, youngest kid that we had there, and then at five years old, she developed a brain tumor uh, that nobody in Haiti could help with. We brought her to America thinking that American medicine would fix her and we'd get her back to the kids in no time. And she never went home. Uh, she had something called DIPG, which is a four-letter word for death. And they told us that she would be dead in four months. But I didn't believe that because she was such a, a fighter all the time. And so we decided to fight with her. And adopted her and she became our, our little girl. And for two years, we traveled around the world trying to find a cure. And while we ultimately didn't find a cure for that 
tumor, we did find something else, which was a family, uh, which for my wife and I, who were in our mid-50s at the time um, and had never had kids of our own, that was a pretty remarkable finding. You and your wife operate um, a number of charities, including uh, a very unique one um, in in Detroit, uh, 24-hour medical clinic for homeless children. It's really extraordinary. I'm um, I'm reaching back to the conversation that we had about, you know, things that you feel like you learned um, mm-hmm. in your conversations with Maury on those Tuesdays. This doing for others um, has really become a pattern of your life, this extending of blessings. Um, you write beautifully. Chica is with you in ways that I think when people read this, they're going to find really extraordinary. Um, and some people will find unbelievable. So can you... Can you talk about that thin line between belief and unbelief or belief and skepticism and your openness to, you know, frankly, frankly, the miraculous and the weird? Well, I'm open to both, by the way. <laughs> the miraculous I know. and the weird. It comes uh, partly through. Partly because I, I see so much of each uh, in my life. Uh, you know, when you run an orphanage every month of your life, you see miraculous and weird every day. But, um, you know, I think with with Chica, with the book Finding Chica, you know, I I wrote it after she passed away and I wrote it in pain, you know, uh, right after she died. Uh, And it was a way of trying to kind of deal with that pain. And I knew that people might have a hard time reading about a a child who ultimately dies at the end, even though she's so funny and she's always saying all these, you know, crazy things. And so right from the very first page, you know that she dies at the end of of the story, but she's come back to visit me and she's sitting at my foot at the chair where I'm talking to you right now in my office where she always would hang around while I was writing. And uh, she says, well, if you're gonna write something, why don't you write about me? Why don't you write a book about me? And so the whole book is me sort of talking to her about that. And it's a way of sort of working through my my grief uh, of losing her was to sort of tell her everything that she meant to me. and. It, it sort of connects. I, I say I wrote that book in pain. The Stranger in the Lifeboat, which came out two years later, is, is out now, just came out. That was sort of my healing book. And they are kind of connected. There's a moment in The Stranger in the Lifeboat where one of the characters in the lifeboat just starts crying and, and asks this God character, why did, in this case, he calls it his wife. He's, why did my wife have to die? But I mean, it's really the proverbial question. Why does anybody have to die that we love? And of course, it's me sort of asking God, why did Chica have to die? And the response that comes back is, I know that you always say here on earth, why did you take my loved one? You know, God, why did you take my loved one? Maybe a better question would be, why did you give them to us? What do we do to deserve their sweetness, their love, the great memories we had? Uh, And he goes on to say, you know, I, I know that when you lose someone, you cry for them here on earth, but I can assure you they're not crying. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, that was, I was writing that for me and Chica as much as I was for the readers of The Stranger in the Lifeboat. That was sort of the end, interestingly enough, of, of finding Chica. It ended in The Stranger in the Lifeboat when I was finally able after four years to not be angry with God uh, for taking her, but to understand that I was blessed to have her at all, you know, for the for the years that we had or what did I do to deserve that in my 50s to suddenly be blessed with this beautiful little girl as a daughter. And when you look at it that way, you know, it's a little bit more from a gratitude point of view and, and a little bit 
more comforting than just to be angry at losing someone. I have a million more questions, um, but we probably only have time for one more conversation. Um, you see a lot of kids in a lot of need, um, and you guys are doing a lot. I mean, you really are. You're pressing yourselves into um, some challenges here uh, in the United States, um, but also around the world. Um, and I don't want to ask the question of why this one, but maybe the question of, like, how, how do you resist bringing everyone home? How do you resist that? The children? Well, yeah. it, the decision is made for me. Uh, Haiti will not let you take children out of the country. And mm -hmm. so uh, it's, it's very, uh, sorry about that. It's, uh, right. it's very, um, that's actually Haiti calling me, believe it or not. Uh, Haiti will not, will not allow uh, that to happen. And so we have to get extraordinary permission just to get a kid out for medical uh, reasons or anything like mm -hmm. that. And so um, I couldn't if I wanted to. Believe me, there are many, we have 53 children that we raised. There. I just got back last night and mm. uh, from my monthly visit, and uh, I would have taken every one of them uh, if possible. Haiti is an extremely dangerous place right now uh, and, and volatile, uh, but I can't, and so I have to go there. Uh, and besides, it's their country, and uh, you know, our goal is not to turn them into Americans. Our goal is to mm -hmm. is to raise them in a way that they can make Haiti a better place. And all of our kids will go, will have college educations. We have four already or here right now, and they get educated uh, in college in the States. But they understand that after that's over, they go back home and they work for two years at the orphanage to give back to where they were raised. And then they go into the Haitian society to try to make their country. I always say to them, you got to put us out of business. You know, Amen. your goal is to put charities like, you know, put orphanages like us out of business because, you know, we we have enough of a future here in America. We're extremely blessed. Uh, but I'm hoping that our kids can make life better for other kids like themselves in Haiti. I love that. I love uh, I love that spirit. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for continuing to write even when it's hard and when it's difficult. Thank you for writing about things that matter Thank you for doing things that matter. Thank you to you and your wife for making such an extraordinary difference in the life of one child, in the life of so many kids, um, and ultimately then in the life of the world. Um, Mitch Album, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. I really enjoyed it, Carmen. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. We'll be right back. So I'm thinking at the end of this year, um, a lot about what God gives and what God takes away. When we think about the reality that, yes, God gives, and then the reality that God also takes away, we can find ourselves in a lot of pain. So the last time um, recently that I had opportunity to sing, He gives and takes away, He gives and takes away, my heart will surely say, Lord, blessed be your name. I was at the funeral of a 17-year-old. Her name was Emily, and she's the daughter of my friends, Ed and Shelley Komaszewski. At the end of the service, after a congregation that was, as you might imagine, filled with very young people, they were standing, all of our faces were streaming with tears. An extraordinary number of them had their hands raised to God, and we sang together. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. 
my heart will surely say, Lord, blessed be your name. And then Emily's dad, Ed, walked to the microphone. And he simply said, God gave and God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Maybe you have suffered a great loss this year. Let me confess that the only way to suffer great loss is to have been given a great love, a great gift. And so at this year end, let me encourage you to bless the name of the Lord who gives and yes, takes away. You know, we look back at the year which is now behind us and we look ahead to another year and in that coming year, God's going to give. God's going to give graciously and greatly and abundantly and exceedingly far more than we we're going to dare to ask or imagine. He's going to give provision. He's going to give grace. He's going to give forgiveness. He's going to lavish his gifts upon us. And he's going to take away. I don't know what or I don't know who, but it's going to happen. And so this year and next, let us be the people who even through our tears stand and say, Blessed be your name. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.